Welcome back to the 10 Blocks Podcast. This is Seth Barron, Associate Editor of City Journal. Joining me on the show today is Erica Sandberg. Erica is a widely published consumer finance reporter based in San Francisco, and she writes for City Journal mostly on homelessness, crime, and other safety issues in her beloved Bay Area. You can follow her on Twitter at Erica J. Sandberg. Her latest piece for City Journal, Doorway Denizens, details how San Francisco's small business owners are handling a surge of street homelessness that began after the latest lockdown went into effect in early December, though it's a perennial and recurring problem. Uh, Erica, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much, Seth. Glad to be here. So uh, your piece, Doorway Denizens, provides some vivid details about the aftermath of California's lockdown. Business owners, I gather, had invested in some new street furniture, and it's being used uh, in, uh, it's been repurposed, let's say. Um, Can you explain to our listeners what happened? Absolutely. Yeah, uh, the city's San Francisco uh, city allowed what was called the shared spaces program, which was actually quite remarkable. I mean, it was a really amazing example of what the city can do and can do right, which is to get businesses in action in any way they can, which is to to build these parklets, um, which were essentially kind of these um, outdoor spaces where people could eat, they could have um, fitness centers were using them and they had they put the ex- exercise bikes, et cetera, out in them. And they were lovely. In fact, they were turning out to be these incredible attraction um, where here we were in COVID and everything was shut down and it was so dark and so bleak. And then these parklets sprung up and uh, business owners spent an, a fortune to do them. Uh, they they actually were averaging around fifteen thousand dollars out of the out of the pockets of these business owners, um, so that they could bring in revenue. Um, and the, the residents were thrilled because this was we finally had some life. We finally had some kind of semblance of oh, this is how life. This is this is this is actually pleasant. This is something that we can do and we can do it safely. Um, and then they were shut down. And when they were shut down, it was almost immediate. Um, the difference in what happened, the uh, these beautiful outdoor uh, places went from vibrancy and uh, money-making operations and people were working and doing what they needed into, into just devastation. Um, uh, everything from vandalism to people sleeping in them to them becoming... Um, becoming uh, places for people to do drugs and sell drugs it, it, and then use as toilets. It, it, it was almost overnight. Wow. Um, and I gather you talked to some local businesses um, and business owners. What have, what have you learned uh, from them that we aren't hearing? It was devastating. Um, they actually embraced the, uh, the parklet so strongly because they were so excited. And then when they shut down and all of this started to happen, it was, I'm not even sure I can describe how badly they felt um, just so disrespected and so slapped in the face by all of this because there was virtually nothing that they could do. They, many of them couldn't close these parklets and they were required to keep them in, in working order, even though they weren't in working order. So they had to clean them. Um, 
And it was, it was, it has been this devastating experience for them because now they're struggling. They have to go to the parklets where, where these people are and say, Hey, you know, could you please not, you know, uh, you use my parklet as a bathroom. Um, can you please not throw your hypodermic needles everywhere? Or they're sweeping out all of this stuff or they're being attacked. It's, it's what I've heard from small business owners is so devastating. And it's even worse because the city hasn't stepped up and said, we're going to help you. And and they haven't. Um, it's, it's really been left on their, on their, on them. So these are essentially kiosks or booths, like semi-permanent structures in the street, like outside of their storefronts? Yeah, I would love everyone to sort of imagine this. You know, some of them were very basic and they were platforms or there were, uh, and tables were set up. They had, as the the requirements got stricter and stricter, so they had, they had to conform to the, to these uh, requirements. So in the beginning, they would be tables and chairs, um, and then they had an overhang and then they had plastic in between the tables. And they, I mean, the, the business owners were, were dry. They were driving themselves crazy trying to keep these up with all the different, the different restrictions they had to, they had to deal with. But some of them were quite elaborate. They had pl- hanging plants. They had um, beautiful lights, especially it was during the holiday season. So they were decorated. It, it was, it, there was almost a competition. How how beautiful could you make them, um, and still comply? Still totally comply with uh, COVID nineteen uh, restrictions uh, for 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 safety use. Um, so yeah. mm-hmm. Now these have essentially just become. Are pe- people are sleeping in them, using them for whatever purpose, and. Oh. Yeah, it's pretty horrifying. And no, not all of them, and it depends on where they are. But it's it's becoming increasingly common to walk by. In fact, I was just I was just out yesterday, and two of the parklets had become homeless shelters. Uh, there were three people in one. Uh, there was a tarp. There were there was empty food containers. There were foil foil for uh, for uh, fentanyl. Um, it's it's really quite remarkable remarkable what about what they have turned into. What has been the city's response? The city has responded by fining the business owners for uh, any kind of abuse to the parklets themselves because they have to be kept within a certain amount of, of order. So they have to be somewhat clean. The graffiti has got to be uh, be removed. That's up to the business owner to do it, not the city. So And there's uh, fines forthcoming. So it's, it's, it's really, it's astonishing. Huh. Uh, that seems like a, something of a catch 22 or, or a, a rather perverse um, use of uh, private dollars. Um, you've been writing about the homeless problem in, in San Francisco for a long time, but uh, you've talked also about how it's changed since the COVID lockdowns went into effect. Um, you know, starting in March, the city shut down a lot of their homeless shelters and started putting people into hotels with bad results. But uh, have they started unwinding that program? What's going on now? It, it seems to be in this perpetual state of we're closing it, we're keeping them open, we're closing, we're keeping up. Oh, this, the, the, the federal government is going to step in with 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 um, with funding. It's it's a mess. Nobody's being transparent. Uh, apparently, it was supposed to it was supposed to end, and then they uh, the city said that they actually did receive some extra funding so they could continue it. 
it's nobody's being clear. Um, what we do know is that some people have been moved out of the hotels due to financial restrictions. They, they just simply don't have the money. They're extraordinarily expensive. Um, I, hold on to you. I, I say just sit down for these numbers because it truly is a matter of each person in each room is costing the city somewhere between $6,000 and $7,500 a month. So it is phenomenally expensive. And the city has closed the shelters and they're sitting empty. The Department of Public Health provided a, a map, a roadmap to opening them up safely. The city ignored it. So we've got people on the street, desperate. It's cold. It's rainy. It's terrible. And now these these shelters that the city paid a fortune for are empty. So I gather that one problem with the ho having people in hotels as opposed to shelters is that shelters, they can have some, you know, some regulations. For instance, they can, you know, uh, forbid you from drinking alcohol or smoking or doing drugs on the premises. Uh, there may be a, I mean, at least in New York, it works this way. There may be a time at which you have to check in so you can't go out at night. Um, but in the hotels, there's essentially no restrictions. Um, is, that, is that what's happening in, in San Francisco? Well, they're supposed to have restrictions and they're supposed to be monitored. There are certain things that are completely unrestricted, and I'm just going to say drug use. Um, in fact, uh, I know I, I covered this in a couple of stories, is the city actually provides drug supplies to people in the hotels. So that would be everything from the needles to the fentanyl foils and the straws to use it with, uh, Narcon, um, you name it. They're giving them all of this this paraphernalia so that they can do their drugs and I'm putting air quotes safely within the within the hotel rooms um, unfortunately we have seen a huge spike in overdose deaths we are nearing 700 ODs right now in fatal ODs in San Francisco which blows the number for COVID deaths out of the water. We have, I think, about 180 COVID deaths here. So you see this huge difference. And many of these deaths are occurring in the hotel rooms because people, they, they do their drugs. They take, they, they're in their hotel room alone um, or sometimes with, they bring friends in um, and they, they die. And it, it's this devastating experience that, that our city leaders aren't addressing. Um, and even those who are, are doing it in such a lighthearted manner that nothing is happening. In fact, one of our supervisors, Matt Haney, is going full force into the hotels. You know, we're, we're going to open more. We're Project Room Key. We're going to purchase a hotel. We're going to get these motels. And it's, it's this um, full court press into more, more, more. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really, it's not a solution. So would you say that the leadership in San Francisco and maybe in California generally, are they in denial that there's a problem or do they just see it as a question? Do they acknowledge, yes, there's a problem, but we need more resources? Um, that, what is the response? I mean, from what I gather, this is like a, a, like a major issue. You know, I hope they're in denial because if they're not in denial, that means that they're cruel. And I, I would actually prefer ignorance. Um, unfortunately, I think it's it's their ideologues 
this is something that makes sense to them. This is something that they don't necessarily believe in um, private property. They would love to take over. They, this is absolutely a socialist perspective that, you know, uh, the people belong. The, 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 peop the people have a right to private property. Um, to somebody else's private property, okay. and that's the way it works, and that's a fact. And um, some are some are more more intent on that than others. Um, but yeah, we've got a couple people on our board of supervisors who are they're they're just straight up socialists. You know, this is something that this is that 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 they want, and you know they they would love to occupy these hotels and turn them into shelters forevermore, um, and that's just a start. So, yeah, I don't think that they're ignorant. I think that this is deliberate and it's going to continue unless we stop them. Um, you know, I, I'm sure our listeners are aware that, you know, over the last few months, there's been these pretty high profile incidents involving California politicians breaking their own lockdown rules. Um, Nancy Pelosi went to the salon. Uh, Governor Newsom went to uh, a fancy restaurant. Uh, there's been a number of these, I believe. Um, is are there, will there be consequences for these elected officials? Um, oh yes, yes. I mean, uh, this is what's actually fairly exciting is that you are we are seeing a movement toward uh, not accepting the just sort of uh, the do as I do as I say, not as I do <laughs> mentality, which is w what we're being confronted with over and over again, and people are very upset. You, we are seeing people from all over San Francisco saying, you know, I'm, I'm a liberal. I don't believe in this. I can't take this any longer. You know, these are the, the decisions are being made by people that um, now people do not trust. The uh, residents do not trust. And once you, once you ruin a reputation, it's really hard to repair it. And the reputation of city leaders here in San Francisco is abysmal. It is at the bottom. And we just had a recent uh, situation with our DA, uh, Chesa Boudin, who sealed the deal on that. You know, these, he's so... It's it's so bad that there is a revolt. Um, that he's he may be ousted, and uh, London Breed has has gone underground. It, it's it's chaos. Is there a, a, an effort to recall Chesa Boudin? There is. There's a strong effort, um, and it's really it. What he did recently, and I'll just say it just real quickly in a nutshell here is, as the district attorney, he has made it his. Um, raison d'etre to ensure that people are not behind bars, all criminals. I mean, it really is. And somebody recently, uh, there was a man who uh, should have been, he was a career cr criminal. He stole somebody's car keys, a date that he was supposed to uh, be on, stole her car keys, gotten in her car. So he stole her car, uh, was drunk and high, and he mowed over two people on New Year's Day a young lady um, and an older woman, and both were killed. And it, it was this devastating, essential murder. And this is all because of Chase Abunian, because he, refu he was, he, when he was a public defender, he actually defended this guy. Um, and so this guy was free to roam the streets after many, many times being, being, uh, being taken in for multiple crimes. And it, it's, 
it's been it's been chaotic around here because people are waking up and they're refusing to just let city officials like Chase Boudin and the board of supervisors continue on. Um, and it's kind of exciting, I have to say. It's it's a thrill getting a lot of I get a lot of emails. I get a lot of people like say, "What can I do? How can I help? How can I make sure that we change this?" So it's it's nice. And I gather there's a recall campaign against the governor. Uh, will that get any momentum? Is there a chance that that could happen? Yeah, the, uh, that's pretty strong, actually. And um, we shall see about that. I mean, it's, it's obviously pretty tough to recall a governor. But uh, Kevin Kiley, who's an assemblyman out of Sacramento, I believe, is leading it. And he is really gaining traction. And it, it's it's very strong. I mean... California is a mess. Our homelessness crisis is beyond the pale. Our economic situation is devastating. The city, I can just say for the city of San Francisco, we're deep, deep in debt. We may not be able to operate our muni system any longer. It's, we're, we're in tatters. And so what happens when, when a community is desperate? Well, the people revolt. And we're beginning to see that in a pretty intense way. And that, as, as, as terrible as it has been, it's a thrill to see more people um, becoming more involved. And that's what's happening. And if I were our city's leaders, I would be very nervous. Hmm. Well, God bless, the, uh, God bless the rebellion, I guess. Um, that's right. <laughs> Don't forget to check out Erica Sandberg's piece at City Journal. It's called Doorway Denizens. You can find it on our website, and we'll link to it in the description. You can follow us on Twitter, at City Journal, and on Instagram, at City Journal underscore MI. And as always, if you like what you heard on the podcast, give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Thanks for listening, and thanks, Erica, for joining us. Thank you so much, Seth. Thanks for joining us for the weekly 10 Blocks podcast featuring urban policy and cultural commentary with City Journal editors, contributors, and special guests.